Amen. All right, look at chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, and we'll start reading in verse 14. It says, Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord, that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase into more ungodliness and their word will eat as doth the canker, of whom is Hamanius and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying, The resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. And what I want to talk about tonight is the importance of rightly dividing. And do not let the term rightly dividing scare you, alright? Yes, the dispensationalists have hijacked that term. But the truth is, rightly dividing, it is a biblical term, and we are commanded to rightly divide. Now, here's where I disagree with the dispensationalists. I do not believe, in order to rightly divide, that we must have Clarence Larkin's book of dispensational truth. I think you can rightly divide the Scriptures all by itself. And let me just say this too, because I made a video a while back uh, showing what it means to rightly divide. And all I did in that video is I just basically said to rightly divide means to, uh, I don't remember the term I use exactly, but just to correctly you know, give the Scriptures. I don't remember the words I used exactly, but apparently there's a version of the Bible that uses those same words. And so basically, I've been getting accused of trying to change the King James Bible. Listen, I don't want to change one jot or tittle of the King James Bible. I personally believe... Rightly dividing is absolutely fine, but the thing is, you know, it's okay if there's a term that you only see in the Bible one time, like rightly dividing. You only see those two words together like that one time in the Bible. It's okay to expound on that and say, here's a synonym for that word. It's okay to do that. I'm not trying to change the Bible. And the truth is, what they have done with that is changing the Bible because they are making rightly divide mean something that it doesn't mean. They're saying we've got to find divisions in the Bible and figure out what those divisions are and who's the what. And we've got to you know, interpret the Bible through, you know, they've got to fit these dispensational charts. That's just stupid. Okay? And truth is, right, we are to rightly divide. We are told to study. We are told to rightly divide. But it basically just means we are to accurately, whenever we're given scriptures, when I'm preaching anything from the Bible, Whatever I'm preaching, whatever portion of Scripture, whatever division of the Scripture I'm preaching to you, whatever it is, I need to be doing it correctly. That's what I, that is what I'm supposed to do. That's what I've been commanded to do. And in order to do that, I'm going to have to study. And unfortunately today, people are not rightly dividing the Scriptures. They often misuse the Scripture. And Paul goes on in this passage too, and he mentions two guys who concerning the truth have erred, saying the resurrection is past already. Now, Paul does not tell us this. But I would guess, I'd be willing to bet, that Hymenaeus and Philetus, they had Scriptures that they used. I guarantee you, when they got up there, and they were saying the resurrection is already past, I'll bet they quoted a Scripture. But I will also guarantee they misused that Scripture. They uh, applied it inappropriately. They failed to rightly divide, is what they did. And it didn't mean they got on the wrong division. You know, they forgot Clarence Larkin's charts when they did. It just meant, you know, they misused the scripture. And we're all capable of doing that. And I've been preaching a lot of these messages. 
about interpreting the Bible because these are things that are so important that you understand. It's important, especially if you ever want to be a pastor or a preacher. If you're going to get up behind a pulpit, you've got to know how to rightly divide. And even if you're not going to get up behind a pulpit, you as somebody who listens need to know how to rightly divide to make sure you don't get led into false doctrine by a guy who is not rightly dividing the Scriptures. So, some example that I kind of want to show you too because one of the things that is very common in the preaching world, especially in the camp meeting world, is for somebody to just kind of take one line and run with it. And you know, did you know it's not wrong for you to just take one line from the Bible and claim that one line and you know use it, apply it in situations, but it does need to be used appropriately. Okay, because you have like your Calvinists, you know, your ultra, uh, you know, they they go uh, ultra intellectuals. That it's like you're not allowed to jump around in the Bible. You're always supposed to just take one passage and you got to stay in that passage and do a proper exegesis of that passage in order to interpret the Bible correctly. Well, you know what? I think it's appropriate. I think it's okay to take one verse from wherever and use it as long as you use it rightly or correctly. For example, Jesus did this. Okay, uh, One example... Jesus did it in Matthew 4.3 when it says, And the tempter came to Him and He said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But He answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Now it's interesting that Jesus did that. Satan's tempting Him to turn a stone into bread. And He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 8. What it says, it says, All the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do that ye may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldst keep His commandments or no. And He humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know that He might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. So we see in this passage right here, he's showing them that when God fed them with manna, when God gave them these commands, he was wanting to teach them that man doth not live by bread alone or that life is not just about what we eat. But it's about following the Word of God. It's about keeping the commandments of God. That's what life is all about. And so Satan comes along and he tries to tempt Jesus to turn a stone into bread. You know what he's doing there? He's basically telling him, hey, you have to have food to survive. The things of the flesh are the most important things. You've got to have these things. But what did Jesus do? Jesus pulled a Scripture from the Old Testament. One Scripture. They said, hey, it's written, man, did not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. He just took one verse. He didn't go and read the whole passage and do an exegesis of that passage. He just took one verse. He took a line from the Bible and he ran with it. It wasn't even a full verse. It's okay to do that. It's appropriate to take passages from all over the Bible. That's okay too. So for, but they all have to be used correctly. For example, this is something I've been pointing out to people a lot. Because when it comes, you've got people that try to teach dispensational salvation. They try to teach a salvation in the Old Testament that was faith plus works. And it's like if you rightly divide the scriptures, 
you know, you'll see different gospels, different ways of salvation. But wait a minute. We actually see in Romans chapter 4 and constantly in Paul's writings that the dispensations say those are for us. Okay? Salvation is by grace through faith today in our dispensation. Because we have Paul's writings, but did you know that Paul used the Old Testament to prove salvation was by faith without works? Look what he did in look what Paul did with the scriptures in uh, Romans chapter four. In verse three, he says, For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God that was accounted unto him for righteousness. In verse six, he said, Even David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. He's, he's using verses from all over the Old Testament. He grabs one verse out of Genesis. Here's, a, here's an example. He grabs another verse out of Psalms. Here's another example. Two different guys proving that salvation is not by works. Think about that. Paul used the Old Testament to prove salvation wasn't by works. And so, it is appropriate to do that. <clears throat> but notice, Paul didn't just take statements that lined up with his thinking. All right? If you go back and you read all those passages, sure enough, he wasn't taking them out of context. He used these things appropriately. In verse 17 of chapter 4, he said, as it is written, he takes another passage in Genesis, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. So he, here he goes. He uses another example of how Abraham got saved by believing God with, you know, without works. And he's using that to prove right now we're saved by faith without works. So he did. He jumped around. He didn't have to go and just spend all his time in one chapter. He jumped around from book to book, from example to example. It's okay to do that as long as we do it accurately, as long as we do not misuse the Scriptures. We're not going to go through it, but Hebrews 11 is another great example of that. Hebrews 11, it's all about faith. Okay? He's trying to, the writer of Hebrews is trying to teach the Jews. He's been telling them all these things that are changing. And he's trying to show them how following Jesus Christ is actually being loyal to the Old Testament. And people might think this is a new way. This faith, this is a new thing. But he's like, you know what he's teaching them in Hebrews 11? Faith isn't a new thing. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. By faith, Abraham believed God. By faith, Sarah. By faith, Jephthah. By faith, Gideon. By faith, Barak. And he goes, I mean, he's given examples through the entire Old Testament just showing one thing after another. It's faith, faith, faith. It's all throughout the Bible. And you know what? We can do that too when it goes to the Scripture. If we want, if I'm preaching a sermon, I can go all over the Bible. I can pull a verse here. I can pull a verse there. But at the same time, I better make sure all of those verses that I pulled were accurate. Okay? In my personal study, I shouldn't just go on eSword and do a word search and just every time I find a word, I go ahead, ooh, I like that word, I like how that sounds, and throw it into my notes. If I, if, if I do that and I don't study 
those passages surrounding it, I can end up really messing some things up. For example, too, on the subject of repentance. Okay? Many people in the IFB mess up big time with repentance. They'll teach that a salvation, in order to be saved, you have to repent of your sins. It means you've got to turn from your wicked ways. You've got to change your life. And what they often do, instead of actually studying the Bible, they go on eSword or Sword Searcher. They go, they type in the word repent or repentance. They go and they find all these verses in the Old Testament. It says here, you know, if you'll turn from your wicked ways, if you'll do this, you know, they'll 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 find all these words that and they like what it's they like what that verse says. But one thing they never do is look and see. Wait, what was he talking about here? He's saying yes, you need to repent, you need to turn from your wicked ways. But what happens if you turn from your wicked ways? Read that passage. Does it mean you'll get saved? Or God will protect you from this army. You know, that's, that's the reality of it. That's the context of it. But often, because they failed to study, they end up misapplying Scriptures. Now, if I do that, if I go and I go on eSword and I want to make a message and I want to use all these examples and show all these verses from all over the Bible, I can do that without reading you the whole chapter while I'm preaching as long as I've read the whole chapter and I know what that passage is talking about. I've actually done my due diligence to make sure I'm rightly dividing. Otherwise, I'm going to get up, I'm going to preach it, I'm going to misuse it, and then you're going to, if you rightly divide, if you have a Berean attitude and you study the Bible, you're going to make me look like an idiot later when he's like, Pastor Tommy, you, you used this verse in the Old Testament, this verse from Ezekiel, to prove that repentance is turning from your sins, but... It actually is teaching in this passage that if they would repent, you know, God would spare them judgment on their city. That's not about salvation. And you know, I'm going to look, and you know what's going to happen then? I'm going to be a workman that needeth to be ashamed. Why? Because I did not study, I didn't rightly divide. And so, it is when you hear preachers get up and do that and jump all over the Bible, take a verse here, a line there. It's not necessarily inappropriate. It's appropriate as long as you're checking up and making sure they're getting it right. And you have a responsibility to do that too. Okay? You shouldn't just take the word of everyone who gets up and preaches. You ought to be studying yourself. We'll see examples of that later. But let me give you just a few examples of some misused one-liners. Okay? These are very often misused one-liners. Okay? The oneness crowd, they always like to bring up, I'm my father one. I'm my father of one. And they never look at context. They never go, hey, can we go and actually read that whole passage? Let's see what Jesus is talking about. Does he mean I and my father are one, like I and my father are the same person? Or is he saying it in this passage like, hey, we are in agreement on this. We are saying the same thing. You know, Jesus is he's telling them something. They're saying, We don't believe you, you know, we believe the Father. And she's like, hey, I'm just telling you what the Father sent me to tell you. We're on the same page. We're in agreement. You know, they, they don't look at that. No, I'm my Father one. Oneness. Really? That's misuse of Scripture right there. You know, another one that just drives me crazy and I hear it all the time? The Jews require a sign. You know? The Jews require a sign. They say that all the time, like Jews can't get saved unless they have a sign because the Jews require a sign. It says that in the Bible. 
You read your King James Bible, it says the Jews require a sign. Yes, but that's not all it says. Keep reading. Yes, the Jews require a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Okay? Yeah, that's what they want. But do they get it? No. Because the Bible also says, a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. Jesus also said to the Jews, there should be no sign given, but the sign of Jonas, who is in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights, talking about his death, burial, and resurrection. That's the only sign they were going to get. And guess what? They got their sign and they didn't believe him. But yet, they liked that line. And that is, that is the most ignorant. And folks, I'm not even trying to be mean, but it is pure stupidity and ignorance when guys get up and say the Jews require a sign and then they talk about how they've got to have this, they've got to see this in order to be saved. They're all going to get saved when Jesus comes back in the clouds at Armageddon because the Jews require a sign. They've got to see Him first. That is just so dumb. And man, I'm t- I get frustrated with that kind of thing. Another one, this is a big one with the rock cards. They like to teach that you know everybody, including women, are going to be 33-year-old men in heaven. And Sam Gitt, you know, he's so loyal to the King James Bible, he takes even a step further and thinks we're all going to have holes in our hands. Alright? Now, why do they say that? Well, it says in 1 John 3, 2, we will be like Him. Jesus was a 33-year-old man. Jesus had holes in His hands. We're going to be like Him. But what these morons fail to do is like, no, me, we're going to be like Him in the sense that we will be without sin. Not that we're all going to look like 33-year-old Jewish men. That is just the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Because here's the truth. You know, we are in the image of God right now, aren't we? Hey, that's one of the, why you gave the death penalty. Why you kill, by whosoever sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. Why is it so bad that we kill man? Because man is made in the image of God. So wait a minute. How can we all be in the image of God when we all look different? What what does that even mean? Listen, it it doesn't mean an identical image. But you can tell what species we all are and we're all mankind. And guess what? Women are mankind too. Women are in the image of God too. It's clear they are... People, alright? Yes, they're women, but they do. They, just, they take these single lines of the Bible and they just go nuts with it. That is so dumb. That is a great example of not rightly dividing the Scriptures when you're teaching that everybody, including women, are going to be 33-year-old Jewish men with holes in their hands. Dumbest thing in the world. Another one, thief of the night. He's come back as the thief of the night. Okay, yeah, he's coming back. He's coming as the thief of night. What does that mean? He's coming when we least expect it. Really, when we least expect it? I thought ye brethren are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. See how they just, they do. They'll just take that line and then they use it however they want. And they end up looking stupid. They end up being ashamed because they're not rightly dividing the word of truth. That, these are examples of not rightly dividing. That I'm showing. So, how can we make sure we're getting this right? How can we make sure we do not do this? I think I mentioned this last week. I try to be careful with this. This is a dangerous thing. We don't even want to preach true doctrine. We don't want to misuse Scripture preaching true doctrine. Okay? I mean, like right now, 
you, know, you got people, they critique everyone's messages. You've got these nut job modalists that have looked like fools that are doing everything they can, listening to everybody's messages, trying to find anything they can possibly say that looks bad to try to make us look stupid, you know, to just distract from them. Okay? They're, they're critiquing everything on the Trinity that they can. Now, the Trinity is biblical, all right? No matter what, the Trinity is biblical. But what do you think would happen if I got up here and I misinterpreted a passage of Scripture to prove the Trinity? Okay? If I got up here and I misinterpret a passage of Scripture, does that make the Trinity now a false doctrine? Absolutely not. The Trinity is still true. Even if I butcher a Scripture to try to prove it. But what do you think those clowns are going to do with that? They are going to have a heyday with that. And then I'm going to be ashamed. Why? Because I got lazy and I misused the Scripture. And I, you know, I, I shouldn't have done that. I was, you know, maybe I was desperate to find the word persons uh, more times in the Bible, so I word searched persons. And when I looked, found a word that says persons, it was actually talking about other people. It wasn't even talking about the Godhead. And you know, I'm going to, I'm going to make that look stupid. Why? Because I just misused a scripture, getting desperate. But that doesn't make the position wrong, does it? But it will make me be ashamed if I do not rightly divide the word of truth. What do you think the pre-tribbers are going to do? If when I'm preaching through the book of Revelation, if I go and I take one of the visions and I just I run with it and just butcher it, they're all going to focus on that one Scripture that I did not rightly divide. Does that now mean post-trib is wrong and pre-trib is right? No, but it means I'm going to be ashamed because I didn't rightly divide the Word of Truth. So whatever division of the Scripture I'm using, okay? And when I say division, I don't mean Old Testament or New Testament or Pauline epistles versus you know the tribulation epistles or anything like that. No, I'm talking about whatever division of Scripture, whether that be I'm preaching on 1 John chapter 1 or John chapter 1 or whatever passage I'm using, whatever I'm teaching from it, it needs to be accurate. Otherwise, I'm going to be ashamed. So, what can I do? What can you do? To avoid this and to make sure you rightly divide the scriptures so you do not be ashamed. And I'm going to just tell you right now, the first thing you should not do is go get a book on dispensational truth to help you rightly divide. If you want to learn how to rightly divide the scripture, I recommend you avoid books that talk about rightly dividing. I, I recommend that you avoid Doug Stoffer's book called One Book Rightly Divided. Okay? That is the last thing you need to do to help, to help you rightly divide the Word of Truth. Okay? What do you actually need to do if you're going to rightly divide the Word of Truth? Well, first thing you need to do is you need to have a good understanding of the Bible as a whole. You need to know the whole Bible. Okay? You need to learn the whole thing. You need to be reading through the Bible. Listen, before a guy ever gets up and is a pastor, he needs to have read through the Bible several times. Okay, that should be a requirement for someone who is ordained. Folks, there are pastors out there that have never read the Bible cover to cover. What in the world are they doing getting put behind a pulpit? There are college, Bible college students that graduate Bible college and they get Bible college diplomas. They get a Bachelor of Theology and they've never read the Scripture cover to cover. What in the world? I can't tell you how many Bible college graduates I talk, I've talked to. They are embarrassed. 
at how little doctrine that they know from the Bible. They know what their position should be, but they will admit, many of them, that they do not know how to prove it from Scripture. They were told what they were supposed to believe in Bible college. They were told you need to be pre-trib. They were told you need to be dispensational. But they don't know how to prove it from the Scriptures. They have no idea. And you know what happens? They end up going and taking ministries and taking churches and they get ashamed because they can't answer questions. They can't prove things from the Scriptures and they get discouraged by it. And part of their problem is these people, they've never even read the Scriptures cover to cover. Or maybe they did it once or twice. But folks, that's not enough. We need to be reading through the Bible at least every year. Okay, Everybody should be reading through the Bible at least every year. And you know what? If you're a pastor, you definitely need to be reading through the Bible at least every year at a bare minimum along with studying. That You have to have an understanding of the Bible as a whole. You can't be looking at certain books of the Bible like it's brand new. You've never seen this before. You've got to know these things. You've got to know, you've got to know it ahead of time. You've got to have a basic understanding of the whole Bible. See, there's some books of the Bible, there's some stories that are more popular than others. Everybody knows a story. He that hath no sins, let him cast first stone. Everybody knows that story. You know, there are some things that everybody knows, but, and, be, and because people know these stories so well, they often think they have a good understanding of the Bible. Yeah, I know. But, you know, do you know these other stories? What about some of these lesser known stories? What about some of these books of the Old Testament? Have you read these things? Do you understand these things? When you're reading the books of, he- when you read the book of Hebrews, do you have any idea what it's talking about? Do you have any concept of who he's talking to and why he's talking to them? It's important you understand that or you're going to look at some of these passages and think it's teaching you can lose your salvation. You know, when you're reading the book of First and Second Peter, do you have any concept of what's going on? You know, do you have any idea who he's writing to, why he's writing to them? You, everything you need to find about it, you can find in the Scriptures if you study. You've got to have a basic understanding of these things. There are some things in order for you to understand certain things in Galatians. Alright, it's important that you understand certain things from the book of Acts. Some stories in there. There are some things in the book of Galatians that it's very important if you're going to understand those things, you've got to know Genesis. There are things that build on each other. And if you don't have a full understanding of the Bible, you're going to butcher certain passages of Scriptures and people often jump to wrong conclusions on verses because they're not familiar with certain things that the Bible teaches. So, for example, look at Matthew chapter 21. All right? Let's look at an example of this. It says, When the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were sore displeased. And he said unto them, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus saith unto them, Yea, have ye never read? Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou perfected praise. Notice what's going on there. So Jesus is coming in. Everyone's praising him, saying Hosanna. This is a very big, you know, this is a type of worship they're doing. And these Pharisees, they get all upset with that, saying, This is this isn't right. Look at what's going on. But Jesus brings up a verse in the scriptures. Hey, have you never read this passage? Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, thou hast perfected praise. You know what he's saying? Hey, don't you remember that verse in the in the, in the Old Testament? 
that verse in the book of Psalms, I believe it was, where he is teaching that, you know, out of the mouth of babes you perfected praise, you're more likely to get accurate praise from little children than you are from adults. You didn't know that passage though, did you? Why? That wasn't one you guys talk about all the time. That wasn't one of the popular ones. You never heard anybody preach on that at the camp meeting. Everybody was too busy preaching on, you know, the popular hobby horse of that day. You know, but hey, guess what, boys? It's in the Bible. And guess what? They're getting it right and you're wrong. Mark 2.23 says it came to pass as He went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day and His disciples began as they went to pluck the ears of corn. And the Pharisees said unto Him, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? And He said unto them, Have ye never read what David did when he had need and was hungered, and they that were with him? And He refers to a story of David when they went and they ate the bread that was for the Levites to be eating. He goes and you say, well, that was just a story in the Bible, exactly. And Jesus referred to it. Those things and those stories that are in the Old Testament, they were written for our admonition. We're supposed to learn from those. Those are examples that we have that we can learn from. And you know what? Jesus was referring back to that. We often do that. I've done that many times when I'm preaching. I'll go and I'll read a story from the Old Testament, and I'll compare it to something today. I preached a message last year. You know, Jephthah and the old IFB. I compared Jephthah and that story with him where he sacrificed his daughter to how people in the IFB today, they're going and they're just kind of proclaim, making promises they have no business making and making foolish vows and doing foolish things as a result. We're supposed to learn from those things. Jesus used the Scripture in that way. And it's okay for us to do that. And so when these people would bring up these complaints, they would bring up a Scripture with it. But he's like, oh, yeah, you know that Scripture, but you remember this Scripture over here? You know, there's, That's not the only verse in the Bible. There's other verses too. Turns out what we did was okay. Turns out this is fine. So some people, they just haven't learned enough. Matthew 22, verses 28. This is when they have Sadducees who don't believe in a resurrection. They were obviously missing a lot. They come to him and they give that example about the woman who had married all these husbands that were brothers and they all died. She never had any kids. You know, whose wife is she going to be in the resurrection? And then verse, it says in 28, it says, Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the seven? For they all had her. Jesus answered and said to them, Ye do err, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage but are as the angels of God in heaven. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have ye not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So they come along thinking we've got him stumped with this question. You know, None of the Pharisees have been able to answer this question. What does Jesus do? Ye do err. Okay? He didn't say you're wicked because of this teaching. He said, no, you're an heir. Why? Because you just don't know the Scriptures. Hey, let me bring up a few Scriptures that I think you guys forgot about. You know, And he did. He bring up these Scriptures. He brought up that example. Because you guys don't believe in a resurrection, but remember what God said to Moses at the burning bush? I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Hey, God's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. Guess what? There is a Spirit. There is a resurrection. You all... You're just missing out in the Scripture. You don't know 
enough Scripture, therefore you err. Like Hymenaeus and Philetus, they erred not knowing the Scriptures. They failed to rightly divide because they didn't have a complete understanding. Hymenaeus and Philetus, the Sadducees, you know, they had certain things down. You know, they had certain things that they knew really well where they could make themselves look smart. You know, they probably memorized some of the boring chapters in the book of Numbers to make themselves look smart. But you know what? They didn't have a full understanding of the Bible and they missed key things. And they erred because of that. Mark 12.27 says, uh, talking about the same story, notice what he adds here. It says, He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Ye therefore do greatly err. Say, hey, your lack of knowledge on these Scriptures has caused you to make a great error because folks, not believing in a resurrection or a spirit, that's a big mistake. It was a big mistake. And their mistake was born of ignorance of the Scriptures. They didn't have a good enough understanding. And there are people out there today, they just don't have a full enough understanding of the Scripture. You know why? Because the only Scripture they know is what they've heard preached. They've not read it all themselves. They've not read the whole Bible. They're just repeating guys too many times who use the Word of God deceitfully. And they end up getting in trouble. So the thing you've got to understand is, first off, <clears throat> you know, it is important that we have a good understanding of the Bible as a whole, but then secondly, you personal, personal study is a necessity. You have to personally study the Bible yourself. You guys cannot just assume that every Scripture that I get up and read, that I did my due diligence on and checked the context of it. Well, I heard Brother Tommy say this Scripture. Yes, but are you familiar with that Scripture? That Scripture that I pulled out of the book of Hebrews to make it look like you can lose your salvation, do you know what that chapter is talking about? Do you know what the book of Hebrews is talking about? Or are you just hanging on one line from one verse that I brought up? You know, you've got to know these things. And that, that is a necessity. And so he did. He brought up, and we're not going to go back and read it, but in 2 Timothy 2, he did. He brought up Hymenaeus and Philetus. They erred. They said the resurrection was already past. What did they do? They misused a scripture. They probably were on the internet and heard some guy on there just butcher one scripture. You know, they heard that guy just over and over again yelling one verse, you know, just yelling it over and over again with great passion. Like, wow, that sounds good. Yeah, you know, Jesus didn't go to hell. Jesus didn't need to resurrect. He said on the cross, it is finished. You know, and that guy, it is finished. He just kept saying it over and over again with great passion. Well, I mean, he's got to be right. You hear how loud he yelled it? You hear how many times he said it? Did you see the passion he said it with? Man, he's jumping up and down. He's screaming like a maniac. Oh, that's good. It is finished. Yeah, I don't even believe he had to die and give up the ghost. It was finished. When he said it was finished, it was finished. It was done right then. You know, no. You got you got to read the whole thing. And people do. They they'll hear that stuff and they get stuck and stupid. It's so dumb. And we've got to avoid that. Okay, because because. Uh, when we do that too, these guys, Hymenaeus and Philetus, their ignorance of the Scriptures, their stupid interpretation of who knows what passage, notice what it says in verse 18, it says, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already. Oh, they got it wrong. What's the big deal? 
but says, and overthrow the faith of some. They're overthrowing the faith of people with their butchering of the Scriptures. So, here's the thing too. Have you ever just sat there and thought, okay, we have the perfect Word of God, right? It's God's Word, right? Wasn't God, when God gave us His Word, wasn't the intent to reveal things to us? Why is it that we have a book called the Revelation of Jesus Christ? The Revelation of Jesus Christ. Yet there's so much confusion. There are so many different interpretations. There is so much strife and turmoil over that book. Why is that? Isn't it the Word of God? So why can't it be plainer? Why can't it be more simple? Why can't it be easier to understand? Well, I'll tell you why. Something that we forget about the Bible is that first off, it goes against our flesh. Okay, There's a lot of things in the Bible. There's a lot of truths. But let's just admit it, we don't want that to be true. Let's just admit it, we don't like it. There are certain things that we're not allowed to do that we want to do. There are certain things we're supposed to do that we don't want to do. Let's just, sometimes our flesh gets in the way and we tend to read things with a distorted mind. We're supposed to be spiritual people, but we are often people of the flesh. That's why the trendies are turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. Why? How do they get these verses so wrong? How in the world do people read that verse where it says we are not under law, but under grace, and act like the law doesn't matter today? How can they do that? All that mean we're not under grace until we get saved. Until then, we're under the law. They make it like, nope, the law ended at the cross. Well, not if you haven't gotten saved. If you've not gotten saved, guess what? You're under the law. And then these trendies act like we're not supposed to preach the Old Testament today when the Old Testament is what shows us how sinful we are. How are we supposed to tell people how to get saved? How are we supposed to prove that they need a Savior when we're not allowed to talk about sin? And they just want to say, well, we're under grace. What would make them see the Scriptures in that perverted light? I'll tell you what, their perverted flesh. That's what would make them do that. And so we've got to understand our flesh works against us and we can often see things that we want to see. Even though it's not there. Also, there are forces at work that make it difficult. Okay? Yes, the Bible is a spiritual book. But did you know there's other spirits out there that are working against us? There's false religions. There's false Bibles. There's demonic spirits. All these things are at work and they are working against us. When you're reading your Bible, if you think you're going to read your Bible and the devil's just going to sit there and say, you're crazy. You know he's going to send his demons along. They're going to try to get you distracted. They're going to try to get your focus off. Your flesh is going to get in the way. We actively have things working against us when it comes to our study of the Scripture. The study of the Bible is unlike any other book. When you study your Bible, while you're studying it, you've got things. There are spiritual forces working against you. And that's why people can come up with the messed up teachings that they have. It's not because there's something wrong with the Bible. It's because there are forces at work. 2 Corinthians, and sometimes too, sometimes it's not just uh, satanic forces. 
Sometimes with some people, it's God Himself. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 4.3. But if our gospel be hid, it is said to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of the eyes of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is in the image of God, should shine to them. So here it's talking about the God of this world. It's talking about Satan. He often blinds the minds of people. Why? So they won't be saved. Okay? Have you ever been out there souling? Like, how can people not see this? You know? Is the Bible, and we'll think, is the Bible not clear enough? No, but the God of this world is blinding them. But you know what? Sometimes it's not just Satan and the God of this world. Sometimes it's the true God blinding them. Look what it says in Mark 4. Verse 10. This is after Jesus gave a parable. It says that when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked of him of the parable. And he said to them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. Notice how Jesus spoke these things to the Pharisees in a way where they wouldn't understand. You know why? He did not want them understanding the things, the mysteries of the kingdom of God because they wouldn't believe Him. And because they wouldn't believe Him, He said, you know what? I'm not going to let them understand. And you know what? When you reject Christ long enough, we believe a person can become reprobate and you know what? God will blind their eyes. There are some people out there today, you can go and you can give them the Gospel all you want. You can give them the most I mean, glorious, most eloquent, most accurate, most clear presentation of the Gospel anyone has ever given. But let me tell you, if God is blind to their eyes, they're not going to see it. They're not going to get it. If that, You can go witness to reprobates all you want. They're not going to get saved. God turned them over to a reprobate mind. God has blinded their eyes and they're not going to see. This is a spiritual book and spiritual forces are at work. Sometimes it's the bad spirits working against people. Sometimes it's God working against other people. So this Bible is not a complicated book. This Bible is written in a way that God wanted to be written in. It's written in a way that will be under, it can be understood by those who are right with God, those who are saved, those who have the Spirit of God. But you've got to understand, that's not just going to automatically happen. We've got to learn to crucify this flesh. We've got to learn to walk in the Spirit. We've got, and if we'll do these things, the Scriptures, I believe, will be more clear to us. So, because there's so many false teachings out there, most people often have to unlearn a lot of things. Okay? If you grew up being taught pre-trib, you got a lot you got to unlearn before you're going to understand the post-trib doctrine. New believers learn this stuff easier than people from the old IFB. Why? Because they got a lot of stuff they've got to unlearn. It took me a lot longer than it should have to come around in these things because I had to unlearn a lot of stuff that was wrong. And so, uh, there's things, there's, so there's people working against us. Galatians 5.7 says, Ye did run well. Who did hinder you? You should not obey the truth. Sometimes there's people. You listen to the wrong person, they're going to hinder you from understanding the Scriptures. So then also you need to have a congregation of students. Now this will help you as a preacher. If I know, this is where you all can help me rightly divide the Word of Truth. If you all are studying your Bible, that puts pressure on me to make sure I'm getting things right. If I, you know, if, if I know you know the Bible... I'm going to know better than to try to use the Word of God deceitfully. Okay? And many people today, 
They just don't care. Some pastors, they can literally teach their church whatever they want. And they can get away with it. Why? Because they don't have any students. They're not like the Bereans. They're more noble than those in Thessalonica that search the Scriptures. You know, they receive the Word of God with all readiness of mind and search the Scriptures daily whether those things are so. That's not in every church. Some churches you can preach whatever you want. And you know, for example, have you ever been out soul winning? And have you have you ever had that person that you gave them the gospel, they listened, they received it, they prayed, but you just had this feeling that you know I could have told them Santa Claus could wash away their sins. They'd have called on Santa Claus if I told them. Anybody ever had one of those before? All right, and that's kind of frustrating because obviously if they're listening, if they're answering right. You don't want to deny an opportunity for them to call on the Lord for salvation. Be like, they would have believed anything. And you never really know with those. All right? it, but isn't it nice when you have people that challenge you a little bit at first and they question you and then you answer their questions and you can tell, hey, they, you know, oh, I get that. And they realize they were wrong. I actually like it when it takes a little bit of convincing. I actually like it when they throw me a few curveballs and I got to answer some scriptures. That's a little more satisfying when that happens because you know you know all right these people probably really got it because they're paying attention. But folks, some people today they will believe anything. Sam Gipp preaches on zombie apocalypses, you know, in, in church. You know, he he you know Rockmanites teach that women are going to be men in heaven. You know, they teach all these crazy things. They teach there aren't going to be any black people in heaven. They're all going to be Jewish. That is so dumb. They teach that we're going to inhabit other planets someday. How in the world can guys get up in a church and preach that kind of stuff? I'll tell you why. There's no students in the pews. Nobody's challenging them on anything. Nobody walks out and they preach that kind of junk. And so you know what? They can just do whatever they want with the Scriptures. That is not right. So... You know, in many churches throughout history, they've encouraged biblical ignorance. Catholic Church. They have encouraged that. Just listen to us. But you know, Paul said, I'm pure from the blood of all men. I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. Paul wasn't afraid to share anything in the Bible. Whatever. We'll, we'll study any scripture. None of it contradicts what I'm trying to teach you people. He wasn't afraid to teach the whole thing. Many pastors today are trying to uh, promote loyalty to a movement or a system of theology by lifting up certain men as an authority in everything. You can't preach that. You know, Lester Roloff didn't believe that. You know, J. Frank Norris didn't do that. Always bring it. What, what are they trying to do? They're trying to make you loyal to a movement. And folks, can you imagine? All right, let's just imagine for one minute. I should do this sometime if I know visitors are going to come. Let's just imagine if I went and I put in our foyer, or you know what, better yet, in our auditorium, pictures of our preacher friends. Can you imagine what the old IFB would say? Can you imagine if I had right there on the wall a big old picture of Stephen Anderson? Can you, I mean, we would be a cult, but I went to a church one time. They had a great big picture. I mean, a big picture of Jack Hiles on the wall. Nobody cared about that. No, no, nobody cares. If you go to Northwest Bible Baptist Church, Keith Gomez's church, you go walk down the hall along their foyer, pictures of J. Frank Norris and Charles H. Spurgeon and all, all these big names. I don't even know who all they have. 
they've got pictures of men. You go into the Bible college. They have an Oliver B. Green library. They paid a small fortune to have his actual library brought out to the college. And guys go in there and that's where they study. And it just helps them get closer to God. Can you imagine if we did something like that? Yet that's exactly what they do. And when you and I, I mean, I sat in Providence Baptist College and I am trying to challenge Keith Gomez with the Bible and he's bringing up names of people whose pictures are hanging on the wall. Can you imagine? Yet I'm in the cult. Think about that for a minute. Isn't that interesting? But that's what they're doing. They're promoting loyalty and movement. Saying just trust the great men of the past. You know, John the Hamblin has a book, you know, uh, Get Thee to the Great Men. And he absolutely, I don't even have time to tell you how he destroys that verse in the Bible. And he preaches this sermon everywhere and even put it into a book. But we got to follow the great men. You know, instead of just teaching what the scriptures say. It's insane. It's insane. That is deceitful. But listen, you cannot expect people to blindly follow you. And folks, thank God, you know, I've always been me, you know, just Mr. Nobody. When I came out here to Rock Falls, nobody in town knew me. Nobody in town knew my dad's name. Nobody in town knew about Lighthouse Baptist Church that I got sent out of. Nobody knew that. Okay? And I never for one second thought people will listen to me because I'm me. Never thought that for one second. I knew if I'm going to prove anything, I've got to do it from the Scriptures. I, I, I never had any of those credentials. I never expected people to blindly follow you. You can't expect people to blindly follow you. Many pastors expect people to just listen to them because they're the pastor without proving anything from the Bible. And so if you're teaching that you do, you ought to be able as a, as a pastor, as a preacher, as a teacher, you ought to be able when you get your message put together and when you preach your message on whatever doctrine it is, you ought to be able to know with full assurance that if my people can listen to what I said and feel honest about it. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 1. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the Word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is said to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them, which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine to them, for we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. He's like, listen, we've renounced the things of dishonesty. We weren't deceitful in how we handled the Word of God. We were honest about it. And we preached you the truth. They were teaching the Bible in a way where people could be fully confident that if they listened to the apostles, they were doing the right thing. They taught the Bible in a way that when people heard it, they would walk away not saying, well, I guess this is what we're supposed to do because this is what Paul said. No, people could walk away. Parents could go home and they could tell their kids, hey kids, we're going to make some changes in our home. Not because Pastor Tommy said this, because look at what the Bible says. 
That's what they did. They wanted people to be able to walk away and feel honest about what they did and about honest about the way they lived. In Romans 4, they did not bully people. They did not strong arm them. They did not guilt trip them into submission. These guys, they didn't get up there and after service have 45 verses of just as I am pressuring people to come up to the altar and sacrifice their sins or you know, make a sacrifice for their sins or do whatever the preacher said they should do trying to guilt trip people. And listen to what it says in Romans 14.1. Um, it says, Him that is weak in faith receive you, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servants? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holding up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He's talking about how we judge people here. He's like, listen, some people, they look at things differently. Some people have a fuller understanding of others. Some people come from different backgrounds. At the end of the day, we want people doing the right thing because they have been convinced. They are fully persuaded in their own mind. And folks, I would be a fool to think you all are to be fully persuaded in your mind, let's say, for example, about how you should dress. Alright? When it comes to how a person should dress, if I ask him, so y'all want to know how you're supposed to dress? Y'all want to please God in how you dress? Do what I do. Should I expect that? You know, am I would I walk away from that and feel honest about it? Listen, I need to be able to show you from the scriptures in a way where I'm like, this is something people could take. Because listen. If they start dressing right, people are going to ask them questions. If they say Pastor Tommy said, that's not going to carry any weight. If their religious family starts asking questions who don't follow these things, I need to give them a Scripture that they can point to so they can say, this is what God wants me to do. Okay, And you know what? If I can't do that on a subject, maybe I should just be quiet about it. Because I need to understand... I need I want you all doing things for the Lord, not for me. It's like, but man, you know, the preachers are pressuring me to do this. I, I got to get them doing it. You know, I've got to, I've got to have them. We're going to play just I am as I am until every woman in the church gives up their pants. All right, you know, we're, we're I'm going to, I'm going to make them do it. Well, why don't you show them some scripture? I don't know the scriptures, but I'm going to make them do. It. You know, it's like, no, listen, you got to be able to show the scriptures. Show the Go ahead and show them the scriptures. And that's this is the thing. So much of this stuff, like when it comes to dress, the old IFB, they never used Scripture. They never used it. And here's what makes me mad. There is Scripture. And they never used it. They, they never, I cannot believe all the things that you know I was taught growing up by these guys. And they never used Scripture. And the thing is, they, it was there. They, just, they didn't think they needed it. Why? Because they saw themselves in this high place of authority. That is not right. That is not the way it's supposed to work. And so you need you need to do it in a way so people will be honest. And so you know the standard. It's been dropped in churches today for what is called Bible preaching. There's a reason apostasy is growing, and there's a reason the old IFB is losing everyone to the trendies. There's there's a reason for it. And there is an honest way to teach the Bible. There is a way to rightly divide the Bible. 
And unfortunately, many preachers who are right on many things are often dishonest and lazy about how they teach the Bible. They're not rightly dividing the Word of truth. And therefore, they have failed to reproduce themselves. And so we've got to make sure we actually rightly divide the Word of truth. And so these are some things that will help you with that. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You for... Uh, the, thing, this, the examples we have, the clear Scriptures. And Lord, I pray You'll help us to make sure we rightly divide the Word of truth. We'll put the work in. We'll put in the study, Lord. We'll get the flesh out of the way. We'll walk in the Spirit. And I pray You'll help us to uh, do a good job on how we handle Your Word. We'll be honest about it. We won't feel tempted or pressured to manipulate, deceive, and to strong arm and to bully. But we'll just teach it the way uh, it's written, the way You taught us to, and that we'll be effective as a result. In Your name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead.